All right, why don't we, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, we're going to keep talking about the parables. This will be our last Sunday where we talk about the parables. So this is our last, uh, last parable. Always a privilege to get to teach Sunday school, so appreciate y'all coming to Sunday school. Uh, a parable is a real life story from which a few basic truths are drawn. We, uh, we talked about how, what it meant to have ears to hear. What does it mean to have ears to hear? It's like, it's like having faith. So, and a description of that in Hebrews is that for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we won't believe that Jesus is telling us the truth. Believe that he means what's best for us. Uh, he also says that he's revealing secrets that have been hidden since the beginning of time, basically. And we want to find an encouragement and a warning in each, um, in each story. So today we're going to talk about the Good Samaritan, probably the most famous parable. Why do you think it's the most famous? It's still part of our uh, language, is lexicon. You know, in 2023, people, if you stop somebody on the street, it's never been to church. You said, what's a Good Samaritan? They would know what you're talking about. Why do you think it? Why do you think it is? It's a compelling story. The golden rule, right? Exactly. Yep. That's right. There's something about like uh, helping somebody that maybe doesn't deserve your help, or or. Providing help to somebody, to a stranger. There's something about strangers helping strangers that's very compelling to us. We could tell, we could go around the room and tell all sorts of stories about situations that you've been in. Let me just say this, I'm going to say this at the beginning and the end. Especially to the ladies, okay? Jesus is not telling you to pick people up on the side of the road. So please don't do that. My daughter Alice has got her driver's license and I would tell her, Never, ever, ever pick somebody up on the side of the road. <laughs> so that may sound counter to the Good Samaritan, but uh, that's what I would tell her. I once was on, a, on Old Highway 61 between uh, Lyon and Lula. This is a major thoroughfare in uh, Mississippi. And it was kind of dark and somebody had their, they had a truck parked sideways in the road so that I had to get completely off the road to go around them. And he's, I rolled my window down and he said, will you help me push my truck out of the road? And I pulled around and I got out of my car and he drove off. And I was like 18. And typical 18 year old brain, like a week later I said, he was gonna rob me. <laughs> you know, it's like I didn't realize what was happening at the time. So it is, you know, you do have to be really careful about how you do that. Um, so I'm not necessarily saying that as you're driving down the road, you should just uh, pick people up. So a couple of good stories. I was trying to think of what are some good Good Samaritan stories. Some of you probably uh, might have heard this. It, um, last winter, it snowed like 10 feet in Buffalo, New York. And there was a guy that was confused and he wasn't dressed appropriately and he was kind of wandering around. He may have been in his car, I can't, I can't remember. And a woman uh, brought him into her house. He was starting to get hypothermia. But it snowed so much that she had to keep him for several days. 
in uh, her house. No idea who he was, you know. And uh, that's a great example of a good, good Samaritan story. There's something about those stories that really speaks to us. There was a guy named uh, Hugo Alfredo in New York City about 10 years ago. There was a woman being stabbed, and he intervened, and the, the attacker stabbed him. The woman got away, the attacker ran away, and he laid on the sidewalk, and multiple people came uh, past him and did not help him, and he actually died on the sidewalk. So that's just me kind of looking up what are some good Good Samaritan stories. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What can we learn from the Good Samaritan story? You've all heard the story many, many times. What can we learn from this story? This comes from, it's actually only in Luke, which is a little unusual. A lot of the parables are repeated. This one is just in Luke, and it's in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. So I'm going to read this. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So, uh, a lawyer is asking Jesus a question. Um, all right, we got that working. Okay. Lots of famous paintings of parables that I've noticed. Um, so skip ahead maybe four or five if you can. So who is the lawyer? In, in this context, who is, the, who is the lawyer? It's not like a lawyer that you think of a lawyer uh, today. Who would be a lawyer? Like a Pharisee. So the, the Romans allowed the Jews to function as a nation kind of underneath the Roman rule. That's how they operated. Instead of just completely wiping out the countries that they conquested, they would leave leadership kind of in place. And so the Jewish theocracy was still a thing. And so theocracy just means that the law of Moses was like the law, was like the actual law of the community. And so this lawyer would have been an expert in the law of Moses in the, uh, in the Old Testament. And that's who this person is. Now, is, he, is, this a, is this a good faith question that he's asking? It's not a good faith question. He, because it says, first of all, it says to put him to the test. He said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And then when he asked the question, well, who is my neighbor? It says he was desiring to justify himself. So this is not a good faith question interaction 
Um, and, and I would say we do this in our own culture. I could say uh, who here thinks that murder should be illegal, right? And everybody would raise their hand and say murder should obviously be illegal. Well, what lawyers do is we say, well, what if you're going 100 miles an hour and looking at your phone and you hit a construction worker? Is that murder? Yeah. Uh, what if you're going 50 miles an hour and you're not looking at your phone and you hit them? What if you're going 52 miles an hour and you are looking at your phone? You can see how something that seems simple can get really complicated really quick. And all of a sudden it's like, well, 65 is murder, 57 is an accident, you know, that kind of thing. We love to do this with theological points, especially in the PCA, uh, for sure. I remember I grew up in the Baptist church and went to a summer uh, spring conference, 1996, and that was kind of when I was exposed to the reformed ideas and I went home and I was gonna explain all this to my mom and dad, <laughs> you know. I've learned since that uh, I don't try to do that, you know. There's a lot that we can learn, you know, believe it or not. We have tons to learn from Catholics, from all sorts of people. And uh, there's 300,000 of us in America. Needless to say, we're not the ones that have it all figured out. There are billions of Christians throughout history, and the 300,000 of us have not answered all the questions. So um, anyway, we love to do this. And actually, the spirit of that question, you can see this, you, you all can see this, kind of the arrogant uh, question of who is my neighbor. I mean, the spirit of that just haunts us. We do this. We still do this. That arrogance. The idea that he would do that to Jesus himself is... Uh, it's pretty scary. I wonder what we would ask Jesus. If Jesus was right here, what would we ask him? Would we, would we ask him, hey, did we get infant baptism right? What about the Pope? What's the deal with the Pope? Uh, would we even care? Like if you met Jesus, I don't think we would care about any of that stuff anymore. So I wonder how much uh, time we spend arguing about things that don't actually matter. Um, so the spirit of that question, you really have to think about the spirit of that question, uh, who is my neighbor? Um, the, the other thing I would say, is he correct? Did he correctly sum up the law? Absolutely he did. That's absolutely correct. A summary of the Ten Commandments. That's a perfect summary of the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But there's something missing here from, from this uh, lawyer. Um, the law, it says, is supposed to be like a mirror. What does it mean that the law is a mirror? What does that mean? If God's law is supposed to be a mirror, shows us who we are. What does it show about you? Does anybody look in the mirror and say, I'm amazing? If you do, you might be a psychopath. So. No, what you see in the mirror is you see things that, are, that you need to like fix. Right? Sometimes, one, one thing about being bald, I don't look in the mirror a ton. In the mornings, I'll run out the door. I'll be at my office and realize, like, I haven't really looked at myself yet. Um, so the way you figure out that you missed a button or that your face is bleeding or something, like, you see that in the mirror. So the God's law is not meant to 
justify us, right? It's meant to show us who we are. And so um, they had perverted the law into something that they used to justify themselves. So they had created all these rules that allowed them to justify themselves with it all, kind of like a New Year's resolution, as opposed to something you use to examine yourself. So you see the difference between examining yourself and justifying yourself. So the lawyer had, uh, had done that. Galatians 3, 23 through 26, it's a couple different translations, but it describes the law as a guardian. You also hear it described as a tutor and as a schoolmaster. The idea of the law as a schoolmaster uh, that is something that we use to examine ourselves, not to justify ourselves. So let's look at the answer to the question. So he says, okay, who is my neighbor? Again, he's not, this is not a good faith question. He's trying to uh, test Jesus, and then he's trying to justify himself. So the road to, from Jerusalem to Jericho, this is not the, um, not the Jericho with the Jericho walls. It's a different Jericho. It's about 17 miles, and it is uh, from up high where Jerusalem is to, it's like a downhill walk, something kind of like that. It's going downhill. Jericho is closer to the Jordan, and Jerusalem is up in the mountain. Has anybody been there and, done, and walked? I've never been to Israel. Has anybody been there and been to this place? Okay. Am I describing it right? So downhill from Jerusalem, a lot of twists and turns. And um, so lots of places for people to hide. And there was no 911. There was no roving police officers. If a gang of robbers wanted to beat you up and take your stuff, they just did that. And you either had to fight back or run or just get beat up. It's a heavily trafficked road, so it's a busy road. And um, this person was beaten and bloody to the point that he was, he couldn't stand, it's described him as half dead. And I started thinking about this. I don't think I've ever seen a person in real life that I can remember that was beaten up this bad. So bad that they couldn't stand up. And I think that's probably true for most of us. We, we live in a very sanitized environment where we don't have to confront that kind of violence on a regular basis. Maybe you have. Um, I've talked to a bunch of people that have done that to other people, but I've never seen, uh, I've never actually seen it. So this is a very visceral, you know, if you see like, if let's say you had to come up on a car crash or you're in the emergency room and you see the remnants of a car crash, what's your initial reaction when you see that? If you're not trained for that, is to like move away from it, right? The, it's bloody, it's just gross, you know? So the natural reaction when you see this would be to move away from it. So first, you have a priest that walks by. Now people kind of try to make an excuse for the priest and say, well, maybe he thought the person was dead. He's not allowed to be close to the dead. So that's why he went to the other side. Even if that's what it means, Jesus is saying, well, that's not an excuse. So uh, he doesn't help. Uh, and then the next person is a Levite. Who's a Levite? Who are the Levites? Who are the Levites? Tribe from the, where the priests come from. So every priest is a Levite, but every Levite's not a priest. So you have Levites who aren't priests that work with the priests. 
related to the priest. And then you have a Samaritan uh, is the one who helps him. And this would have been, you know, the, the relationship with the Samaritans and the Jews would have been, you know, worse than race relations in America uh, would, would be, they hated each other. So um, this would have completely turned the story on its head, the idea of a Samaritan helping. Who are the Samaritans? Does anybody know who the Samaritans are in Jesus' day? That's exactly right. If I had a piece of candy, I would throw it to you. Um, so they weren't totally Gentiles because they, it, was, it was the ancestors of Jews that intermarried with the Samaritans when they went into Samaria. They weren't totally Gentiles, but they certainly weren't Jews, so they were very much hated. Um, so there are three things that you see in this, uh, in this answer that are required for the Samaritan to help. The first is he takes a risk. So there's a risk in what the Samaritan is doing. I was reminded of the early days of COVID. Uh, if you remember, one of the first places it got hit was Italy because it had a factory that was connected to Wuhan. And when nobody, it's easy to forget how dangerous COVID was when it first hit. Nobody knew how to treat it. And nobody knew what it was. People were dying like crazy. And there were lots of priests that were dying. They were going in to like, give the last rites to people, and they were catching COVID and dying. And there was one priest that had a ventilator because he had a breathing condition. Uh, his name was Don Baradelli. And he gave his ventilator to a younger person that needed a ventilator, and then he died. So, so being a quote-unquote good Samaritan, it sounds good, right? We all want to be a good Samaritan. It takes risk. There's risk to yourself. It was risky for the robbers could have still been around. There's nothing pleasant about like dealing with somebody that's been beaten to a pulp. It also had a cost, right? Who paid for the hotel? He did. And if you think about it's, I always think about this when I see denarii. So it costs two denarii. If you think about the parable of 10,000 talents, that's a good way to remember what a denarii is worth. The, the servant owed 100 denarii to the person that owed 10,000 talents to the king. So uh, two denarii was uh, kept him for a couple of nights and he said, if it costs more, I'll pay more. Now what about the innkeeper? Is the innkeeper a good Samaritan? Why is he not a good Samaritan? He did, the innkeeper has not done anything wrong, right? Why is he not a good Samaritan? He's getting paid, right? He's just doing his, that's what he does. He sells rooms and somebody's paying for a room. Um, the third would be being religious is not enough. The priests were the most religious people in, the, in terms of like understanding the uh, ceremonies and the rituals. They were the most religious people. And so <clears throat> that obviously was not enough. Even if that's what the priest was thinking, you could see how perverse that thinking would be. I can't go close to this person because they might be dead and I would be violating some law about the dead. So I'm using that as an excuse not to help this person. Um, and also, not necessarily someone that's like you. Um, can't emphasize this enough. If Jesus wanted to make a point, you would think he would make the person in the ditch a Samaritan, being helped by a Jew. But he makes the person in the ditch a Jew, and the person that's helping is a Samaritan. This would be like saying the solution to the American church is to go find a leader in Africa 
because they know what they're doing and we don't know what we're doing. It just turns it completely on its head that the Samaritan is the one that's actually helping. John 8, 48, <clears throat> the chief priests and the elders, they actually label Jesus as a Samaritan with a demon, which is kind of poetic, that they would call him a Samaritan. And in a way, he kind of became a Samaritan. You know, he became a Samaritan uh, in order to redeem Samaritans. So uh, that's kind of what the Good Samaritan did. I really want to focus on this question, though. To me, I want to go back to this question of uh, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What are the stories this very similar to? There's another interaction we talked about a couple weeks ago. Ask the same question. The rich young ruler, right? Basically asked the same question. And Jesus, again, turned that on his head and said, well, give away everything you own and there'll be treasure in heaven. And he went away sad. So something is going on uh, with this. The rich young ruler, the lawyer, um, I read a sermon that Ligon Duncan preached, and he talked about Acts 13. And this is the reaction of the Gentiles versus the reaction of the Jews. Acts 13, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, when they heard the gospel, basically, that the gospel was for everybody, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed... And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to, the, went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So why would the Jews, the Jews the week before were happy, right? Because it was just Jews. And now that the Gentiles are involved, they're mad. Now the Gentiles, the Gentiles are excited, right? Um, so you didn't have to explain to the Gentiles why they should be excited. So if, if you think about that, if we're looking for an encouragement, a warning, the warning is the spirit of that lawyer saying, who is my neighbor? The encouragement, uh, if you're a Samaritan and you're standing in the crowd kind of in the back and you hear this story, is it encouraging to you? If you're a Samaritan? Very much so, right? What if you've ever been half dead in a ditch, right? You're encouraged by that. If you've never been a Samaritan and you've never been half dead in a ditch, you're thinking, what about that story? What's encouraging about that story? That's kind of the problem. Like if you have to explain it, you're looking at it wrong. Um, and the Jews are not excited about the gospel and Acts because they want it to just be a Jewish thing. And the Gentiles are having a celebration because they're actually hearing it. You don't have to explain to the Gentiles, why is this good news, you know? And so uh, there's something that the lawyer and the rich young ruler are not getting that the prostitute and the tax collector immediately see and immediately react to with joy. And that's kind of the question that we should ask ourselves. Um, what are we missing? Do we not see that we were half dead in the ditch? That Jesus came and saved us. We were half dead in the ditch. And we should want to spread that to other people that are half dead in the ditch. Um, but if you've never thought of yourself that way, it's not going to make any sense. 
we, we live in a world where my life is very comfortable. Uh, my standard of living is very comfortable. I maintain a lot of peace in my life and comfort. And it's very easy to drift into lawyer, rich, young ruler territory in the world that I live in. I don't know about you, but the world that I live in. Which is why when Errol goes to Parchman, he doesn't have to explain any of this to the inmates at Parchman. They just see it as good news. Um, so going back through the stories real quickly, we talked about the sower. What kind of ground would the older brother from the prodigal son and the second son from the two sons and the lawyer and the rich young ruler, what kind of ground would be that? You had the path, the rocky ground, the thorns, and the fertile ground. What kind of ground do you think that would be? They wouldn't be the path, right? I don't think they would be the rocky ground because I mean, these, these people are experts in the Old Testament. They've obviously been exposed to God's word many, 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 many times. So they would have to be the thorns. They would have to be the thorns. If you look at the prodigal son and the lost son, um, the, older the spirit of the older brother is very similar to the spirit of that lawyer and very similar to the spirit of the second son and the spirit of the rich young ruler. The lawyer is actually a perfect example of the second son from the parable last week that says, I'm going to go to the field, but then doesn't go. He knows all the answers uh, to the question. So I would come completely back to our first, I keep hiding my water for myself. Y'all notice that? I'm turning around like I don't know where my water is. Um, the Samaritan woman, Jesus goes into town, he meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And the question is, why is Jesus going to people like the Samaritan woman? Why did this prostitute and the tax collector go into the kingdom before the chief priests and the elders? What is it that we're missing about that? Um, and it actually made me think about my CPAP machine, which is a strange thing to say. Uh, the being welcome to middle age is getting a CPAP machine. You know what I love about this one right here is the wife is just, she loves it, right? <laughs> There's nothing like putting a gas mask on your face that just, you know. Uh, so I have a CPAP machine. I've had it for about a year. It takes a long time to get used to. And you worry about it. You get those strap marks on your face. And if you're bald, what's even worse, you could get them on the back of your head, you know? Um, this is what you realize. For me, I snored really bad. And, you know, I did the sleep apnea test. And she was like, yeah, you died like 12 times a minute, you know, and came back to life. Uh, but you realize it takes a couple weeks to get used to, but when it finally works, you sleep all night, you don't get out of bed, you wake up, you realize, I haven't slept for like 15 years. And I was tired every night, like 7.30 or 8, I mean, I, my eyes were closing. And it's like I realized this is what it's like to actually sleep. This is what people feel like when they actually sleep. She sleeps better too, that's right, because I don't snore. I said, it's like sleeping next to a walrus on a ventilator. It's like, uh, um, that occasionally jumps out of the bed. But <clears throat> I worry, if you said, what do you worry about? I worry that in the world that we live in and that I live in, there are lots of things that we don't realize because they're just normal. 
And that lawyer did not wake up and say, I'm going to do the absolute worst thing today. I'm going to be an arrogant jerk to Jesus himself. He did not wake up and plan to do that. In fact, he was an expert. He knew what, he forgot more about the Old Testament than I will ever know. But he did it. Because there's things going on in his life and in his culture and in his world that he doesn't even see and recognize. So what are those things for us? And, and what is it that we're missing uh, in this? I'm, I'm reading a good book that uh, actually I think Les talked about it in Sunday school a year or a year and a half ago called A Failure of Nerve. What he says is when you, sometimes you get stuck looking for new answers to the same question and it creates a treadmill effect. And one of the reasons you don't make progress is because you keep asking the same question and just find a new answer to it. He says what you need to do is ask a different question. So he might say to a parent that's having a lot of trouble with a child, he would say, well, you need to stop worrying about the child and you need, to, you need to worry about yourself. That would be an example of asking a different question. What I would say is I think we might need to ask a different question. Now, I don't know what that question is. What I would, what I would propose is instead of asking like, what should I do? You know, what's wrong with me? Uh, why am I not feeling this? You know, maybe we should ask, what are we missing out on? There's something in this faith that's a mystery, this relationship with Jesus, that Jesus says is more valuable than anything in your life. It's more valuable than your life. And we should be asking ourselves, what am I missing out on? Like, the older brother did not miss out on anything by not going and being a lunatic and destroying his life. What, what am I missing out on? What am I missing out on by not just embracing this? We dip our toe in, right? But don't get weird. Don't go too far. Don't be one of those people that's like over the top, you know? Don't get out of line. And I just wonder, like, what are we missing out on? So I would just say, as you look at these stories, there's a very clear distinction that Jesus makes over and over and over again between the chief priests, the elders, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the rich young ruler, and the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners. And I would say, what do we, pon what we should ponder these stories and think, what is it that we're missing that puts us in the category of the elders and the chief priests and, and puts distance between us and the Pharisee, between the uh, tax collectors and the sinners, that prostitute comes in and just cleans Jesus' feet, doesn't ask him any questions. And what is it that we are missing that would put us in that place? So that is what I would say uh, in conclusion to this, and thank you for coming to Sunday School and listening. And I'll say one more time that you didn't hear at the beginning, especially for the ladies, Jesus is not telling you to pick up people on the side of the road. Uh, do not pick up people on the side of the road if you're by yourself. So, um, Okay, I'm going to pray for us, and then Melvin is going to introduce some missionaries that are here. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us uh, open our eyes to see the things that we can't see, open our ears to hear the things that we can't hear. Give us the heart of the prostitute and the tax collector that just embrace the gospel and protect us from the dangers of uh, being like the lawyer and the rich young ruler and the chief priest and the elders that are so easy for us. We thank you for loving us in spite of our faults, uh, wherever we are. 
And we thank you for rescuing us when we were half dead in the ditch. And I pray that uh, your love for us would spill out to the people that we interact with. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.